another episode of Digital Detox Secrets. So I'm happy to have a special guest here that I've actually known for a very long time, and his name is Dr. Paul Savage. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm good, Lisa. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks for joining us. So I wanted to have you on this episode to talk about and kind of walk us through the state of health um, and, and how it kind of relates to the era that we're living in um, with the the digital world and we're kind of on this always on 24 seven, multiple screens in front of us. Um, everybody's trying to be as healthy as possible, but is it really working? What does it look like from your end? And and you're not just an everyday doctor. So tell us a little bit about how, what you specialize in and how you're def different from your average family physician. Well, first off, um, thank you for having me. And yes, I've been a doctor now for 30 years. It's hard to believe that. Uh, for the first 10 years of my career, I was the nighttime manager of the largest trauma center in the country in Detroit, Michigan. And that was a very stressful job. And I was in my early, you know, early to mid 20s. And for about 10 years, I was working the night shift. I was overstressed, undersleeping, drinking, not eating well, smoking cigarettes like all the ER doctors do. And by the age of 35, I was 284 pounds. I had high cholesterol, heart disease, pre-diabetic, low thyroid, obesity, and all sorts of depression going on. And that's when my doctor wanted to put me on the seventh medication. I, I realized that I needed to do something different. So I was going to go out and do what I knew I needed to do, to get it was which was to get healthy. What I didn't know at the time was all the amount of information I didn't know about what it meant to get healthy. So that started a journey for the last 20 years of building a uh, knowledge base and which I can share with other physicians and I uh, we built over a hundred centers together you and I and then we uh, uh, went out and built a software company for this industry so I've been very critical in this in this industry but what it is is called integrative medicine so what we're doing is we're taking the best of traditional medicine with all the medications that we need to use but realizing that we don't want to use them forever and to, we want to limit them as much as we can and combining it with all the other things in health such as nutrition and such as exercise and stress management and sleep management and detoxification and all these things that we've kind of gotten away from, not on, not on our own fault. It's just the way the environment has changed and how we change the environment and how we're no longer recognizing all the different things that we need to do to stay healthy. The interesting thing is when people come in to see us that first time now, they may look pretty good and they're like, hey, I'm eating great. But actually we start getting into it and we realize that there are a lot of holes in the nutritional program. There may be a lot of holes in their exercise program. Everybody has areas that they're under misconceptions about what's good for them, what's not good for them, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And the amount of misinformation out there is formidable because that misinformation that we're surrounded by all the time leads people down what we call all these health dead ends that ends up getting them either not better or actually even worse. And that's probably the more typical uh, reasons that people come in to see us. So I've learned so much from you working with you over the past, you know, almost more than 15 years. Um, and I really, before I met you, did not know the key, the connection between hormones and health and and how all of these things factor in. And it's really, not, I think for the majority of us, even today, I mean, it's, it's become a little bit more mainstream, but for the majority of us out there, maybe they don't, they're not as knowledgeable or not as, you know, doesn't, they don't, they're not educated by their, the average doctor on the connection of hormones and, and what that can mean and balancing the hormones. 
Right. So that's that's just one of the little widgets that you have to do in the overall whole health. Um, and if you're starting with hormones, this is something I've been touting and being a vaginalist for for over 20 years is that hormones are essential to health. Basically, if you think of the body, we always have two things going on in our body. We have a group of hormones that want to build us up and a group of hormones that want to tear us down. And and we're growing up, you know, when we're a young spud and growing into an adolescent to a mature adult, we're certainly more on the anabolic side. That's what you call the hormones that build you up and not so high on the catabolic side, which is the hormones break you down. Now, you need to have a balance between the two because a healthy environment in the human being is old tissue getting torn down, new tissue being laid down, and that kind of, that cycle, that flow keeps going on and on for years. What we don't realize and what we fail to appreciate as physicians, that as men reach middle age and women reach middle age, the amount of hormones that build us up start tapering at all. In women, we call that perimenopause and menopause because that's when they start losing their essential anabolic hormones, such as their estrogens and their testosterone. One of the things I always quiz women about is which hormone do you have more of when you're 25, estrogen or testosterone? Almost universally, they always say estrogen when in fact, they have molecule per molecule 10 times more testosterone than they have estrogen. Men, on the other hand, have to have 400 times more testosterone to estrogen to become male. But men also start losing their hormones around middle age as well. So we've known about menopause since early times. I mean, the first recorded case of menopause treatment was in the early Greek culture. Um, they didn't treat it well, but they, they recognized that things were going on with the hormonal changes. And when the hormones decline, the ones that build you up, that's why you become a little old lady. Because as you age, the hormones decline. But it's because the hormones decline that you physically age. So what we've determined now and found in research is coming out much more uh, prolific than it was even 10 years ago. What we're finding is we are in fact right that Hormones are effective in maintaining health and wellness as you enter the second half of your life. For men, it's been a more of a, it's interesting that the women were leading the charge on their, their hormones since the late nine, uh, since the late 80s, early 90s. Men, however, we only started recognizing the episodes of testosterone declining, only basically getting more mainstream about five years ago. And you've heard me preaching about testosterone for over 20. Now, the one thing about testosterone, when you start comparing a man who's 40-year-old today to a 40-year-old 40 years ago, the man had, today has about half the testosterone levels of a man who was 40, 40 years ago. And so the interesting wow. thing is, why is that happening? Well, it's very interesting. Everything that you do healthy for yourself, and this is for men and for women, increase your anabolic hormones and decrease your catabolic or the breakdown hormones. But the, So what the problem is, is this is another casualty, the male testosterone level is another casualty of the environment which has changed. We are working more. We are relaxing less. We are, we, are, we are awake more. We are sleeping less. We are eating more and eating less healthy. We have all these determinants and the environment is certainly more toxic than it was even 20 years ago. It's wonderful that we're starting to see research now, just like last week, where it so shows that there is no amount of alcohol, which is good for you. And I've been saying that for 20 years. Um, and recently they also came out with the fact that there's a lot of heavy metals now, copper, not only lead and mercury, but copper and selenium that are in the environment, which, which are not healthy to any degree. 
because it causes oxidation, heart disease, and strokes. Again, this is something we've been talking about in integrated medicine about maintaining a toxic-free environment. So when we're talking about hormones, it is critical to realize that everybody needs hormones at a certain point in their life because no one goes into the last quarter of their life with healthy hormone levels. The interesting thing is, as we proposed over 15 years ago in a paper, that what we're seeing is a window of opportunity that if you give the hormones earlier on so that you maintain the healthy tissues, you have a lot less complications on the backside. So just to clarify, when you say we need hormones, we need to supplement what we physically already have at a certain point. That's correct. Or we need to do things that improve your own levels as long as we can. But at some point, everybody does need to supplement with hormones. Many times people come in in their 30s and 35s or even 40s and men or women and they have hormone imbalance. That's why they come to see us because they think their hormones are off balance and they are. But the reason they're off balance is because of lifestyle changes that they're not implementing. They're eating too many trans fats. They're eating too many sugars. They're not exercising. They're overweight. They're not getting enough sleep. I mean, all of these things negatively impact your hormone balance. So your hormone balance is actually reflecting your poor lifestyle. So is it safe to say that you can optimize your hormones by having a healthier lifestyle? Absolutely. That's exactly what they do. Because when you're telling your body you want to be healthy, your body's going out and producing more of the things that keep you healthy. I mean, the interesting thing that we people fail to recognize so often is they think the hormones are driving the bus when in actuality, you're driving the bus the majority of the time. Now, even in the best scenario for women and men, eventually, the tissues that produce the hormones degrade at about one to 2% per year. And somewhere down the road, you're going to fall below this level and needing hormone replacement. People say, well, what's that level? And I tell people as a mathematician, it depends. It's not based on a certain level. It's based on what percentage of hormones do you have now compared to what percentage you had back then. For example, men have a testosterone level that's healthy somewhere between six and 1100, what we call nanograms per deciliter. Now, if you were a guy in your 20s and you had an 1100, and now you're a guy in your 40, you have a 600, you're going to feel the difference because that's almost 50% drop in your testosterone. However, if you were a guy in your 20s and you had a level of 700, and now in your 40s you have a level of 600, you're not going to feel it necessarily as much. So there is, and there's more things that play into this with toxicology, um, including sugars, which is the most toxic of all things that we have in the universe. All these things can be amended. So even when we're treating people with hormone replacement, we want to make sure that we optimize the other things because it's like the wheels on a bus. You want all the wheels moving at the same time. If you just have one wheel moving, let's say, for example, you're eating well, but you're not sleeping well, you're not exercising, your hormones are off balance, you're toxic, all of these, you're not going to go very far with one wheel turning. These things are synergistic. Matter of fact, they're cumulative and additive. You start doing all these things together and you just don't get a factor of one or two. You get a factor of 10 or 20 changes, but it's important to be doing all these things at the same time. So thank you for that. So what do you think now these screens that we're all, you know, we ha all have multiple screens in front of us. What does that do to our stress levels and stress hormones? What are you seeing with your patients? Well, that depends on which portion you're now. Remember, the younger the younger the client, the more we're seeing them with what we call the digital toxicity, which is they're basically on their phones all the time. Even we see a lot of that even more so in the 40s, but in the 60s and 70s, they haven't necessarily adopted that technology. But so if I'm uh, so we, we're seeing different effects of this 
at different times. I think we're in a kind of unique era because we have some groups that are in their 40s who've been on it for 10 years and some groups in their teens who've been on it for their entire life. So maybe walk us through each um, generation. So let's start with boomers and then go down to X, Y, Z. The effect that we, that, that we want to be careful of is that in the developing brain, in the younger, in the younger clients, mm -hmm. don't develop, the brain doesn't develop its imaginary creative side nearly as much on the phone as when they're immersed in their environment. The environment is still way more entertaining and you have to process a lot more information about your environment when you're looking up than you are looking at what somebody wants you to see on the phone because doing texts, answering emails, playing games, uh, Instagram, all these things, the, the brain doesn't grow very much developmentally on these limited programs. Interacting with people, learning emotional intelligence, seeing how the life works. These are not things that you can learn from a phone. And when you're not paying attention to your environment, you're really, what we're seeing is we're seeing stunted emotional development. Wow. In fact, there's a good amount of evidence that I think is growing that a lot of the situation we have currently in the environment, uh, political environment of the country, has to do with a lot of retarded emotional growth in people who are now so emotional, social media and their phones, that they're not learning how to interact with each other in real time. Because it's a lot of, it's a lot different social interaction when you're on the internet saying something about somebody else and another thing saying it to their face or saying it to another person. It's, it's, it's so totally different that we start missing those social cues and we start getting socially inept and emotionally uh, immature. What we're seeing in the older, pop, you know, as you get older, now these people may have not had, like my generation, I'm almost 60 now, we didn't have cell phones until we were in our 20s. And we didn't have Facebook until we were in our late 40s, early 50s. Um, so we already had some of these skills developed, but what we're finding for these people is their growth is retarding because these social, these social um, habits, these social cues that we're used to have to keep getting reinforced, reinforced all the time. Otherwise, we start slipping into new behaviors because if we're seeing these people in their 40s and 50s using social media, they're becoming less able than they used to be. So they get it back faster, but they can also lose it relatively easy. Um, so we're starting to see one of the things about the social media intent is not only is it very dangerous for walking across the street, dropping in potholes, we've all seen the videos of people walking into manholes and <laughs> covers, and which is horribly, uh, or getting, and the car accidents that come from texting while you're driving, this is putting us at risk with very little effect that it's improving our life. We're actually starting to see a decline in life simply from social media interactions itself because there isn't a prolongation necessary. We're certainly seeing the deficit side of social media or a interacting with these mobile devices. So when I was visiting you in Chicago at your office, um, we were chatting and you brought up to me the topic of inflammation and that you, you know, tell, tell us, share, share us the inflammation, what we should know about it and how it's impacting all of us. Sure. Well, it's interesting. Again, um, when you're looking at the body, you're looking at hormones and hormones are influenced by inflammation and inflammation is influenced by hormone. Again, Everything works together in the same way. You're doing all the stuff you know you need to do well for yourself. You're going to be very healthy. If you're not doing everything together well, you're not going to be necessarily as healthy. And when you're doing some things really wrong, you're going to be very unhealthy. So inflammation, by definition, is the body's reaction to whatever is not you. So, for example, 
if you in, interact interact with a food that is not you, you're going to have some level of inflammation that starts. If you get traumatized or your skin gets injured, you're going to have breakdown of vessels and that trauma, because it's like an allergen or, or like inflammation caused by an injury, that sets off a bunch of uh, cascades of what we call cytokines, which are inflammatory agents that say, come help me here, I'm under attack. So it's, it's kind of like an army that your body has able to mobilize in a moment's entrance. Interest the and that's necessary for life because if you you know if you get infected you need to be able to fight off that infection you need to be able to make sure that you're not eating foods which are which you're allergic to because they're deadly to you so all these things are clues for the body and as well as a therapy for the body of getting over these things however and here's a big however we never used to have inflammation going on all the time. It used to be, ouch, I got hit, inflamed. Oh, I ate something, it got inflamed. It, this, this, this wonderful system that we have, which protects and rebuilds and regrows for us, all the things that are damaged, can now be turned on all the time. And when you, now this healing flame becomes an inferno of damage because it starts burning everything. Because we are a combustion engine. We eat food, we burn food, and that lets off oxygen, water, and, and energy. So we do combustion energy, and that is also a form of inflammation. <clears throat> so what I, what I always tell people is inflammation is the hallmark of everything bad that's going to happen to you over time. Because inflammation is going to pick out your DNA wherever you're the weakest, and it's going to attack it there. So we're start, we know about connections between asthma. We know connections between Alzheimer's, heart disease, and even cancer is becoming much more uh, understood in the terms of looking at inflammation. So when we're talking to clients about maintaining health, one of the things we're always monitoring is where's your inflammation? And there's many ways that you can t check inflammation rates, whether it's a blood test or there's um, different, different uh, physiological tests that you can make sure to see where your inflammation level is. The lower your inflammation level, the longer you're going to live. The lower your inflammation level, the healthier you will be. Okay, so um, just for our guests that might be joining us live, feel free, I'm gonna reserve the last few minutes to take any questions in the comments for Dr. Savage to answer live. Um, but in the meantime, so I'm just gonna kind of go through a couple different like quick, you know, categories. And if you could just give what is your, you know, most actionable tip that sure. somebody could take right now. So let's just start I hope, with- I hope you're gonna start with nutrition. Nutrition, yeah, that's what I was gonna Absolutely. say. Because I tell yeah. clients all the time, nutrition is 70% of your health. It's actually the medicine that you give yourself all day long. And the jury's in and the jury's been in for over 20 years. The best nutritional plan is a key, what we call a ketogenic and it used to be called paleo. It used to be called Atkins part three. It's been renamed so many times that I've been in practice that I've lost count of all the different names. Essentially, it means eating a lot of colored vegetables, eating a reasonable amount of protein and eating a lot of good saturated and unsaturated fat, both. And that includes things like olives and nuts and artichokes and avocados and coconut oil and MCT oil and fish oil, eating fish with good oils and go ahead and eat the, go ahead and eat the beef with as long as it's pasteurized. Because the problem isn't that beef is problematic. The problem is how we make the beef nowadays. So everything needs to be as organic and as close to farm to table as is possible. If you're going to spend your money anywhere, Spend it on your nutrition. I have a motto here in the office. It doesn't matter why you come to see me, whether it's for Alzheimer's, hormone imbalance, menopause, cancer. 
if you eat better, you'll feel better and you'll get better. The other thing about what to eat is how often to eat. Jury's always been in. Intermittent fasting. In other words, you're eating too much too often of all the wrong stuff. So eat less often, eat less amount. Matter of fact, I myself for over 15 years have eaten once a day. And I usually eat around four o'clock in the afternoon. And it usually starts out with a two quart salad bowl with olives and nuts and olive oil and some dressing. And I eat that for about 45 minutes. And then last night we had some steak or we had the night before that we had some salmon. The night before that we had a piece of chicken. Now, that's a very healthy diet. I probably eat somewhere between 900 and 1100 calories a day. I used to be 300 pounds with a 300 level cholesterol and heart disease. I'm now about 190 pounds. I have a cholesterol of 130 and my heart disease is essentially gone. So doesn't that contradict, I mean, that's amazing. That's uh, congratulations. That's your, you know, inspiration to everybody. But doesn't that contradict, like I always hear, eat five small meals a day. You know who came up with that? Kraft. Because Kraft <laughs> makes the snack foods and they wanted you to eat five times a day and they knew you'd have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So this was a marketing campaign who I heard from their marketing VP tell me directly that that was the reason that they came up with that idea that it's better off to eat five small meals a day because eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that gives you time for two snacks. And Kraft mm -hmm. is snack people. Okay, that's pretty crafty. The other, the other thing that came out in the, in the 50s was breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Now, that's been proven for children, but it's been disproven for adults because children are just growing machines. They need to eat all the time. So feeding a kid is different than feeding an adult. But as an adult, breakfast is no longer needed. So when you're on the, um, the keto diet that you're recommending, um, a portion of it is the good fats, right? Is, there, is it possible to eat too, many, too much good fat in one day? It is, absolutely. Because, again, it's what you eat, how much you eat, and is it processed or not. So or when you eat, how much you eat, and not have, and what you eat, make sure it's not processed. Absolutely, you can eat too much fat. You can eat too much vegetables and get obese. If really? You eat enough of them. I mean, okay. so anything can happen if they eat people eat too much. Properly, I tell people all the time, what we, what one thing we do know in medicine, and this is a proven fact that no physician will dispute, because a lot of facts in medicine, ask a physician, you'll get a different answer. But this one, everybody agrees on. The one thing we know about longevity, about living a long life, is the less that you eat, the longer you live, and you almost never get chronic diseases associated with aging. Okay, yeah. I have a question on this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. So um, we can't see who it's from, but one of our viewers is saying, I work with a bodybuilder, and the first thing he told me was that I wasn't eating enough. He had me eating six meals a day. Is it possible to build muscle being on an intermittent fasting diet? Absolutely. Now here's now here's and I have many bodybuilders who I work with. They've come into this knowledge that everybody needs to be beefy and huge. In actuality, the people who live the longest with the fewest diseases are relatively lean. I mean, they're built, but they're not muscular, huge bodybuilders. The more that those people have a shorter lifespan, the larger the, the body frame is, the mass, the shorter the lifespan. I ask people all the time, show me an 80 year old bodybuilder that's 225 pounds. Show me one. I dare you, anybody, because they don't exist. They die from other complications. The best physiologic level for a man is 12 to 15% body fat and a relatively lean mass body. So, if, if, if and bodybuilders, they want you to build muscle because that's where they make their living at, building muscle. Now, that may be good if you're petite and you need to put on some muscles, but this whole idea of becoming bulky bodybuilders is not healthy for you. 
So there's no health benefit to that. There is no health benefits for this. You can certainly build muscle. We have patients do it all the time. If you're eating the right thing, if you're exercising, getting plenty of sleep, and your hormones are balanced, you will put on muscle. And okay. it doesn't take long to do so if you have those four things going on. The problem is a lot of times people are eating all this protein and they're lifting weights, but they don't have the anabolics like testosterone, both men and women, in order to build on the muscle. And they're like, I'm not putting on muscle. The other thing is, uh, too often they overwork out. We also know that there's a problem with people who are overworking out with that. That's generally what we call heavy level activity of, of exercise for two hours a day, six days a week. They don't put on a lot of muscle at this point because they're burning the muscles quickly. You got to let the body heal in order for it to grow. Okay. Next topic, sleep. Sleep is next to, next to nutrition, the single most important thing, even more so than exercise. I tell people the order of health is always nutrition, sleep, and exercise in that order. Um, sleep is something that gets away from us nowadays. Uh, I've seen multiple studies where um, but the, the jury's in. People need eight hours of sleep a night, period. We know that un under eight hours a night, you start having health benefits, including heart attacks, stroke, obesity, depression. Everything gets worse as your sleep gets shorter. But not only is it important to have quantity of sleep, it's important to have quality of sleep. And as we get older, a lot of the brain hormones don't work as well. Or we're overstressed. And we don't have good stress management techniques or we're sleeping on a poor bed. And these, all these things start getting in our way. Or if you're a woman, you start going through hot flashes and menopause. And there's all these things that can get in our way. So sleep is a very tricky thing to get a hold of in most cases. But in almost always, if you're looking at the hormones, the nutrition, stress management, exercise, and you start getting these things in alignment, sleep usually comes in alignment as well. But it's essential to help. Okay, next topic, stress. Stress. This is something that we, with the American Institute of Stress, we've been able to track this for over 60 years, and we're seeing it double every decade for the last six decades, which means that at this point, we have 30 times two more stress than we did in the 1960s. That's impressive. And we're just walking through this stress like it didn't bother me. Personally, when I was an ER doctor and I worked 12-hour shifts, seven days a week at night, shot, uh, at the night shift at the largest trauma center, getting shot at, getting beat up all the time. I mean, got beat up 12 times in 10 years. The fact is, if you asked me if I was stressed, I'd be like, no, I'm not stressed because I adapted to expect that that's what my day was like. But it was stressful. And that's what we've become numb to the amount of stress that we have. Secondarily, our stress management technique, partly because of our interaction on the social media, we don't learn how to interact with people. You don't alleviate stress by talking to a phone. One stress management tool is a management tool is a hug or a friend who can console you and the physical touch and the smell of their pheromones. These are the things that social genomics we know decrease the amount of stress and help you adapt better. There are simple things that everybody can do every day that people don't do it. One is just taking 10 minutes and sitting outside, taking some deep breaths and enjoying the sunshine. Another thing would be meditating for 10 minutes and just slowing the brain down because if you slow the brain down for 10 minutes, it takes about six hours to rev back up. If you do it in the morning and the mid-afternoon, your brain is relatively slow all day long. I myself had practiced that for over 10 years and I need to because I'm a high energy, as you can see through this presentation, I talk fast, I move fast, I get excited about stuff and then I'll have to slow myself down later. And spending time in conjunction with the people that we love is a wonderful way to decrease your stress. When you're looking at the um, blue zone studies, what we see the number one thing that promotes longevity and long, good, healthy life is how many social friends you have. 
not on social media, how many social friends you have in person. So that brings up an interesting angle. So I, we interviewed Cameron Harold. Uh, he's a best-selling author and specializes in entrepreneurs and working with CEOs and CFOs. And we talked about the little um, known secret fact that CEOs and entrepreneurs are one of um, the, they suffer from depression, anxiety, and high levels of suicide. Yeah, look at, look at they live Elon, a lonely life. Right, look at Elon Musk lately when his quote about my personal life is a disaster and he's telling the truth. So I'm sure you work with a lot of successful entrepreneurs and what do you what are you seeing because part of our audience are entrepreneurs and even moms who are entrepreneurs of their household so what well so part of our program here is not only balance your hormones you see our nutritionist but you may and most commonly you're seeing our life coach and she's coaching you because we've forgotten some of the simple basic things about how to manage stress we and we always remind people that exercise is a great stress mediator Sleep is a great stress mediator. Eating well is a great stress mediator. Taking time to spend with family, taking time to spend with loved ones, actually putting time aside each day, not only to spend with them, but also spend with yourself. You need these social bonds because in the end of life, the only thing really matters is the people you know and the people who knew you back, the real friends. You know, we made a lot of friends in my life. My grandfather told us uh, friends come and go, but a precious few will, re will remain. And, you need to keep those contact with those people who knew you early on and all throughout your life because that gives you, that is what people judge the meaning of their life by. It's not about how much money they end up with in the bank. It's not necessarily how much they've changed other people's life because they don't get all that back from those people that they change. What it is is their immediate family, the family that you have or the family that you build. That's what brings joy to your life. And when you have joy, that makes stress markedly reduced. But Unfortunately, they're all everybody's working 18 hours a day and they, they think they enjoy life and then they turn around and they realize that their 17 year old girl they never even really got to know. Oh, it's so true. It's you know, we have to really be aware and mindful of that. So we're we're almost out of time and I really appreciate you taking your time with us today. Um so just some follow-up questions. So actionable, what do you think about CBD oil and IV therapy. <laughs> That's not a minute conversation. In brief, CBD oil is wonderful as an anti-inflammatory and it, as, as it decreases anxiety. I am a big fan of CBD. I'm a big fan of THC, which is marijuana. I am not a big fan of alcohol. We've seen 30,000 deaths from alcohol last year. We saw zero deaths from marijuana. CBD oil is a derivative of hemp and it comes into the oils where it actually gives you also the sedative effects. And in this stressful environment that we have, I, I often recommend CBD for people who have inflammation or people who have anxiety or people who have difficulty falling and staying asleep. IV, IV nutrient therapy. That is very effective in people who have certain things in which they need to treat. Uh, it is absolutely a fact that our nutrition and our food has dropped considerably over the last four decades. And the amount of food that we get, the amount of nutrients that we get in our food is significantly curtailed. And in some people to such a degree that it gives them physical ailments, chronic fatigue, Lyme syndrome. All these are nutrient deficient immune system involved, very complex disorders that do improve 
with the medication with the IV nutrient therapy. Now, there's many different things come from high dose vitamin C to plaquex therapy to NAD therapy to chelation therapy to IV micronutrients. Again, they work, but not for everybody, and you have to be well trained in knowing which therapy would be most effective for which client. Perfect. So, and I think that what's important to say is that these um, CBD oil and IV therapy, for example, are fairly new and they're accessible to everybody, right? I mean, it's... it's Well, IV therapy has been around for almost 40 years now, 40 or 50 years. Uh, so it's, it's not really... A lot of these things have been done mostly by the naturopaths and by uh, alternative doctors many, many years. It's only starting now to get more of the attention of the traditional doctors so that we're getting things like the TAC trial, which is the only study that was done on a center to look at chelation therapy. But there are many different studies out there on high dose vitamin C. But all these things that I've been proposing and talking about for 20 years, they're coming to pass. <laughs> but it takes time because the traditional world, you know, there's not a pharmaceutical push in these researches on this. So it's a lot of independent people. I'm fortunate enough to have built the largest software company uh, in, the, in the United States for integrated medicine. So we're collecting volumes of data on hormones and supplements and IV therapy, chelation therapy. And we've been in uh, data acquisition mode for about five years now. So we're going to have a lot more information that we're talking to UCLA and we're talking to University of Michigan about actually working with. So it's a very exciting field. But it doesn't, I do not recommend that. I do recommend that patients see an internal an, an integrated medicine doctor if they're having any kind of health issues that they would like a different opinion on. Because it's not necessarily in contrast with what the traditional doctor says. It's very most likely in conjunction and an additive way for them to work with their uh, traditional doctor. Okay, thank you for that. So we have one question in the comments. What IV treatment do you recommend if you've never done one? I recommend none unless you have a, a, a physician says this is what we need to be treated. I mean, you know, there is a lot of people who go get hangover IVs, which are basically just some B vitamins, vitamin C, magnesium, and a normal saline solution, which really works very well because what we had the recent study three days ago about alcohol coming out, it's not the alcohol that damages the brain, it's the post effects with the electrolytes in the water that causes the brain damage. So, yeah, that's a great one if you're drinking. I tell you don't drink and then you don't need the IV. Um, you know, if you're nutrient deprived and you have a chronic disease, then I think a Myers cocktail or even up to what we call performance IV, which is about three to four times nutrients, is very useful for getting people who have a gut issue or who have uh, other issues that keep their system from absorbing enough micronutrients. Um, but I can't really recommend say what one do I think everybody needs because there isn't one. Okay. Thank you for that. So one last question. What if you work in an industry where you're having your phone on you all the time as a large part of your job? One of the things, I mean, again, so there is another thing about the electrical radio waves, uh, about they, how they may or may not be affecting uh, the production of cancer on your body. So I tell people all the time, if you can put your phone down and not walk around with it all the time, that's in your best interest because we don't know the answer to that. Do I think that it's probable... Um, probable damaging? Yes. Do I do I know to what degree? No. The reason I say it's probable damaging is because it's something that our body has not been exposed to in the past. So likely the body won't know how to defend against it and something negative will come about that in the way of cancer or even they're saying with the depression because of the radio waves up near the phone all the time. So 
if it's part of your job in the industry, there's really nothing to say except, you know, if the worst case scenario, you get one of those packs that have some insulation around that you can put the phone in if you have to carry it around. I tell people all the time, don't walk around with your phone book or your phone in your front pocket, especially male and female, because that's where your reproductive organs are. And don't always go walk around with it up to your ear because we don't know the effects of this long term. So be cautious. So maybe use speakerphone. Speakerphone's much better. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Savage. So we're going to put in the comments the links to where people can get in touch with you, follow you on Facebook, your website. Um, you're located in Chicago. Do you do any virtual con um, consultations? Well, we have a lot of clients come in from all around the country, but because of the way the federal laws are, I need to see them at least once a year in person if we're doing treatments. Okay. Uh, and I do a hold to that, but we have people come to see us once a year and then we treat them um, via telemedicine. We're a big role, tele you know, here we are, uh, you know, in this field where we're talking about all this social media and, and technology and here we are and in the office too, doing a lot of telemedicine conferences because you can't get away from it. It's a question about how do you adapt to it. Is there an age that you recommend to get your benchmark hormone levels tested? Let's just say if you don't have any any signs of anything, but no. no. Remember, I, I tell people all the time: your symptoms are more important than your levels. Mm -hmm. And it may be that your levels are A at this point in time, and now 30 years from now it's B, and you have symptoms. So you're going to treat until the symptoms go away not until you get to a level that you want. So it's, it's not about treating levels, it's about treating patients and symptoms. Okay, so when you when you have the symptoms, that's when you go get your right. If you're 50, your estrogen level that you need to get rid of your symptoms may not be that what you were when you were 25. So a lot of these people like, I'm gonna turn your hormones back to when you were 25. I said, why would you do that? Uh, you don't know what they were at 25, and even if you did, it's probably not healthy for this environment that you're living now because many of the other wheels on the bus have changed as well. The whole point is getting all the all the wheels working in harmony at a level that brings back optimization of health and wellness. You know that because the people come in all the time saying, "I feel great," and okay, so we've accomplished what we wanted to do. Well, thank you for sharing all the ways to optimize our health. And um, if anybody has any questions, put them in the comments. Dr. Savage is now part of our private Facebook group. If um, maybe he can jump on and answer any questions later. Um, but thank you so much. And anytime really we have a lot more conversations I'd like to share with your audience. So anytime you'd like to have more interviews, let's get some more information out to your clients. Okay, perfect. Okay, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, everybody. You too. Thanks so much.